Uh, Jawan Ross, that was someone that we were both really excited about out of Old Dominion. Played in one game this uh, this past spring, and then all of a sudden was gone after transferring in. And, and looking like at his best, he could be a really impressive difference maker. And I think if we want to stop there for just a moment and you insert your two cents here, I think he's someone that the Bucks did miss a little bit this year because they did have some um, – I don't want to say weakness, but they could have used a few more bodies up front due to injuries and, and just what they have lost over the last couple of years on the defensive front. Well, that was the big thing he was expected to come in. Start he did um, day one, and then was going to rotate in with Cameron Cody, was going to rotate in with Timmy Dorsey, we didn't know a lot about at that time. And was saying, okay, we got three nose guards, going to be able to go. Ross plays one game, decides to leave. Cody gets hurt towards the end of the spring. Then you're down to Timmy Dorsey, and then bunch of either freshmen or guys playing out of position and looking forward to what happened in the fall you get to North Dakota State and you're just down to Timmy Dorsey again because there were some issues again with injuries and, th- and if you could have had one more nose guard how better could the defense actually had performed because there was a lot of snaps and or a lot of snaps by the same players, or there was a lot of snaps where guys were out of position. And I think Juwan Ross, they leaned heavy on. They really wanted him to be a, a cornerstone because he was a guy that played, and not just played, but had significant stats. Sometimes you get transfers, and they just weren't given an opportunity to get on the field. That was not his case. He had significant stats that proved it, just like Austin Lewis. They have significant stats at an FBS level where you're thinking, okay, this can come and translate. And game one wasn't a bad game for him. Put up some stats. You're thinking, okay, here we go. And then all of a sudden, week two, it's like, all right, he's not here anymore. So I think that was a huge loss because he had came in and started game one and then was gone. Jacoby Leatherwood was a linebacker on Nashville, Tennessee, East Nashville High School. Faded into the mist pretty quickly, never made it to the fall. Adriel Clark, all state out of Raven County High, uh, 1,500 yards and 28 touchdowns in the air. Did not play his first year with the Bucks. Is still on the roster, though. Cameron Garnett. Appeared a couple of times on special teams, made a couple of tackles this year. Mustafi Al-Gharawi, really funny guy, a good kid, did not appear in his first year, though. And those are the six, I guess I'd say, that you would put into the bucket of either obviously didn't make it onto the roster for this fall, uh, departed for whatever reason, uh, were here but did not make much of an impact. Doesn't mean they can't at some point, but that's kind of that first bucket. The second bucket, I guess I'd put two players and that's where Austin Lewis would fall. He's the big one I think that they were expecting a lot from, but got hurt, couldn't play at the beginning of the year, then hurt again and couldn't play after four pretty pedestrian games. He was trying to work his way back. He is obviously expected to factor in major, though, next year, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then Zion Alexander struggled with injuries and was only able to play in six games, but did have a couple of pass breakups and a big interception against VMI. He is someone, and again, going to break down the roster, reset the roster, if you will, as we go between the signing class and the one from last year and the one from this year. But I think he's someone that has potential and a chance to play in that secondary that's going to look to fill a couple of holes. And obviously Austin Lewis with ATSU's defensive line being one of the areas of concern over the last couple of years. If he's able to get this full off season, get himself right, get himself healthy, he is a massive, massive individual and can have a massive impact as well. I think that's the one area I think that as we talk about needs and things need to be addressed is the defensive line last couple of years have just either been hit with bad luck or things just out of your control with injuries and things. They've just been thin and continue to be thin. And so I think 
if Austin Lewis can be healthy. Now, he didn't. He could have probably had surgery at the end of his time at Liberty. Didn't. Same injury, ETSU did have surgery. So two years of having an issue with the lower leg, and now he's had the surgery. So two things: one, does he come back as strong and healthy as he was because it's surgery? And and then two, if he does, what does a healthy Austin Lewis, who's not been that healthy for the last couple of seasons, give your defense? And besides just a big body and a guy, again, that had stats at the FBS level, I think could be one of those difference makers. It could be an anchor because I think, uh, as we'll go over the roster later, but I think Mac, Max Evans did a good job of anchoring one side of the defensive line. You put Austin Lewis on the other side. Again, if you can fill the nose guard with a couple, you got Timmy Dorsey, you fill a couple more. I think that defensive line, if it could rotate seven to nine guys as opposed to what ended up being a four or five-man rotation, and I think that's what they really want to get to just with the Billy Taylor system, just the way the style of offense is, just because the speed, if you can rotate more guys in. And honestly, if you can have a little bit of depth there where it's like, okay, we have a couple of guys who are a little better at run stoppers. we got a couple of guys who are a little better – you know, and get after the the passer or can get off the zone blocks as opposed to, you know, trying to eat up two different gaps on a run play. So there's a bunch of different things with schematically, but it, eventually it's a numbers game. And can ETSU have enough numbers so if they have a couple of injuries, they don't really drop one way or another, and that's one of the biggest concerns. But if Austin Lewis comes back healthy and can anchor that line for a, a good bit, then certainly I think uh, ETSU is going to be in a much better stead. Secondary to secondary, they have been great. They have been able to plug and play some guys. And I've got some thoughts when we get into, you know, replacements and, and things like that. But really my thought for this whole first part and when you was Austin Lewis because if he can come back, he can be healthy, although he didn't make an impact just because of the injury early in the season and played less than four games. So if he wants a redshirt, wants an extra year, he certainly can do that. Doesn't even need a medical. I think he could take a true red shirt, but if he wants a medical, he can take a medical because he only played less than four and had the surgery that ended it. So there could be an opportunity if he likes being around for a while, Austin Lewis could be a good anchor for ETSU for a couple of seasons. So I think that Zion Alexander and Austin Lewis, interesting how they both got there, but they'd fall into that second bucket where with Austin Lewis, it's understandable that things just didn't break his way this year, but you're excited to have him back, and he was able to contribute a bit on the field. And then Zion Alexander, for a true freshman, you're probably happy to have seen him get on the field and make the plays that he did. So while I think they ultimately fall into that same second bucket, that kind of in-between, didn't get on the field a ton and make a huge impact, but also weren't bystanders the entire year, um, those two being right in the middle. Zion Alexander probably happier about Austin Lewis, you're probably a bit down on, not because he can't perform, but just because he wasn't able to be out there. But the future certainly seems right for him. And then there's the third bucket where you look and say, this was a massive success. Joe Schreiber, of course, North Dakota State originally, went the community college route, then comes down to ETSU and ends up being the anchor in the offensive line, started in center all year, and ultimately got the chance to go back up to Fargo and play against his first school, and then Timmy Dorsey, a couple of sacks and three and a half tackles for a loss as a rotation player in the middle of that defensive line, and as you said, sometimes he was really the only one that was able to play at that nose guard position. Those two, I don't think you could ask any more from, and I think if you looked at this 10-person class, a lot smaller obviously than usual classes this year's is because of the weird scholarship situation and COVID and everything that's going on, but you look at those two if you would have said who are going to be the ones that come in and 
contribute right away. You probably would have said those two in Austin Hayes. Yeah, and, I, and I think uh, for sure, when just when you get junior college, you get FBS transfers, you assume that they're going to be asked to play normally right away. You generally don't bring in a JUCO or an FBS transfer to be the fourth of a position, right? I mean, you're going to pick freshmen. You're going to want to develop. They'll have time. They've got to play behind people. When you go get those guys, there is an extra thought process. Like Zion Alexander, he was brought in, and they thought, okay, you know, we can maybe redshirt him. He can play behind this. Then all of a sudden, a little bit of issue, again, with Quinn Smith with injury, just some other things. And honestly, he was really good and worked his way on the field. But that was the thought process. Like, we don't really – you know, because we had George Odomegawa. We had some other guys that were freshmen last year that, you know, that had some time. So we got time to develop. But Zion was able to develop. But when you bring in those three that you mentioned, the two, uh, and, and I guess technically junior college transfer for Schreiber because he went to Iowa Western Community College, but he did start North Dakota State uh, his career. And then Austin was the FBS. Do you assume they're going to go play? Timmy Dorsey, I think, took a while in the spring to figure out uh, Coach Taylor's system. But, boy, when he figured it out, he was really good and really became that true anchor um, at the nose guard position. And I think, you know, Joe Schreiber, what, what I thought he was as, as good as we could have had to have had him. You know, and I think having another year with Joe was going to be tremendous because you just have more of that camaraderie. And, again, we'll talk about the offensive line. But, you know, the offense is super young, the defense. Um, so for Joe Schreiber to come in and, and do what he's supposed to make an immediate impact because there were so many returners on offense last year. There's so many returners on uh, offense coming up this year for him to come in and do that and sort of be the, the really the missing piece I felt like uh, ETSU was struggling with was the center position from a year ago. So I really feel like Joe can even take a step further up this year and have it now. Again, it's a different offense. It's a different scheme. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think Joe Schreiber was as good as we could have ever hoped at the center position. Timmy Dorsey, um, first couple games, you probably, you know, if you talk to Billy Taylor, he's kind of scratching his head like, I, I don't know about this guy if he's going to be able to figure it out. And then end of the year, I mean, he was tremendous and maybe one of the fan favorites, if you will, on that defensive line. So 10-player class, four transfers, six freshmen. Wider grade, uh, to me, it seems like a pretty average class. You had your standouts that came in and did what you had hoped. You had maybe a disappointment or two just in terms of expectation when they were coming in. And then you also had a standout or two uh, that were able to outperform your expectation. And then, as is the case with any freshman class, a number of players that just were not able to get over the hump and continue to be with the team. Yeah, it's one of those where, like, usually year three you can really go back and grade. But the truth is in year one, if you're 50% in sort of an immediate impact, I think you've done some good work. I mean, to be honest, if you can get guys in a good mix of players to come in. You're one. If you can get to 50% of the guys contributed and helped you did things, I think that is an outstanding number. I think in year three, you want that to be closer to about 70 80%. You know, when we, and, and, and that's something we've never done before. Maybe we'll dive into that at some point in time. That seems like a, a, lot, a lot of work, but it would be, I think, fun. Uh, just to look at and see, okay, which because sometimes you can have like a complete missed class, and those are hard to recover. Um, and you certainly can have a class that was dominant, like the, this past senior class was pretty dominant. And granted, not all of them, again, if you started from four or five years ago 
and look, that class continues to get smaller sometimes. And But you look at the immediate impact of those seniors that were four- or fifth-year guys that came in, and it's, it's hard to argue what they were able to do, a couple of conference championships, obviously the uh, historic season they had this year. But I, I think, you know, probably talking about a, a, a B, I mean, for this class and the immediate impact, and you mentioned some of the names, and that class could, I think, easily jump up because – Will, as you mentioned, the guys that were sort of in that second tier, will they be able to step up? You know, um, you mentioned Clark, the wide receiver. He actually dressed the last couple of games. Now, didn't um, I don't think he actually got on the field, but he actually was able to make the dress roster. So that tells me he was progressing as the year went along, that he was able to dress and go with the team. And so he's starting to make strides at the wide receiver position. So there's some things there that, that could still uh, pan out for ETSU. Obviously, I think the big disappointment, and, and I'm, you know, Everybody has their own thing, and I'm not uh, trying to pile on Juwan Ross because certainly he has to handle whatever Juwan Ross needed to handle. But I think that was maybe the biggest disappointment because he had came in, started game one, and they're not able to go. And Austin Lewis wasn't allowed to play in the spring because he played in the fall. So I think you have to put that there uh, for folks that maybe didn't know that. He wasn't allowed to play in the spring because he played played the full fall. So anybody who played a full fall could not play in the spring, and then when he came in again, had the knee injury right before uh, the start of the season. I think it was the second, to, uh, I think they had three scrimmages. It was the second scrimmage. Tried to go on that knee and then ended up having to have season in surgery. But depending on what him and Alexander, if the guys that are getting playing time, the Dorsey, just Robert, can they continue to make impact? So I think a solid B. And you mentioned Clark. I mean, he was very prolific uh, down in Georgia when he played at Raven County. So it's not, I think, a huge surprise to see him make some strides later on in the season. And very encouraging as well for an ETSU team that can always use a few more wide receivers. Okay, that's last year's class. Let's look at the players that are no longer with ETSU from last year's roster. I've got a list of 13 and others, a couple that are in a bit of a gray area that you may or may not be able to clear up. But I was handed the list, and they said, oh, here's a couple of asterisks next to these couple of guys. Uh, firstly, Elijah Juan Pickleton. Graduated defensive lineman, uh, Noah Lajuan, obviously very well from being here as long as uh, he was, and he was an extensive contributor on that line uh, last year. Then you had at running back, of course, Quay Holmes, graduated slash declared for the draft, whatever you want to say. He's going through um, all the combines, workouts type thing right now, so he can try and make an impact and sneak into maybe the tail end of the draft. Uh, certainly, I think it would be a surprise if he was not someone that got a chance to be on a roster as an undrafted free agent if he is not drafted. Tyree Robinson also going along that same path as Quay Holmes, graduated, declared for the draft. Rhonda Lentz, um, freshman track champion and someone that held down one side of the field at the cornerback position on the defensive side of the ball uh, as far back as I can remember. Graduated, of course, Donovan Emanuel we've talked about on the show. He transferred to FIU. He'll be playing the rest of his collegiate ball or at least next year there. Jared Folks uh, graduated and says finally graduated on the sheet that was given to me. I'm not sure why they have to take shots. But he's still here. He's actually on staff at ETSU um, and had a chance to work on the recruiting trail with getting some of this class in. So that's very good to see him still around the halls and as he tries to transition into a coaching role, get some experience there. Dawson Pearson, we know he's in the transfer portal, backup tight end. Draymond Schwartz, of course, transferred to LSU and uh, very happy. Lateral move. (laughs) Very happy for him to be able to get that chance in the SEC. Colton Lakes graduated, Blake Bockrath graduated, and then there's the three, or there's that asterisk. Uh, Malik Murray was, he was handed to me and said, well, graduated, pretty sure he won't be coming back. 
Uh, from my understanding, he is not coming back. But that was kind of the um, stipulation there when they were talking about Malik Murray. So I don't believe he'll be back with the team. Um, all indications are, from what I've heard, that that will not be the case. Same with Deuce LaRose. Heard that about him, too. And then Jay Harrison was someone that also was on the uh, list of being graduated, uh, but have seen him around a bit here and there, so not quite sure. Um, again, with eligibility and how everything works, now it, it's so different. It's not just cut and dry, here's your four years or here's your five years if you redshirted or you had an injury or medical hardship or whatever the case may be. So those three are kind of in the in-between, but I'm going to just go ahead and assume since we're on this list that for the purposes of this conversation, they will not be with the Bucks. Um, so when we talk about uh, the reshape roster and reset everything there, I'm not going to include that in the conversation. Yeah, for Murray, he played six years. So he would have had the redshirt, would have had the COVID year. So unless there's some medical that I am unaware Correct. of, then Malik Murray would be done. Now, Harrison, he also starts anytime Murray did 2017. Redshirted 2018, so he would have been a redshirt sophomore 2019. In 2020, a redshirt junior in the COVID year. So it looks like to me, Harrison, by my math, would have a possibility of coming back. So Jay, I think, is plausible. I don't see any way looking and, again, not not having enough time to fully look at that. But to me, I count six plus a red. I think Malik Murray has exhausted everything. Jay Harrison, because I think he, I think he could have. A, I could see that because he did redshirt. And what's interesting again, and sometimes you just take a bio from a, a different team and they'll go back and rewrite when they play at a different school like Buffalo. But 2017 was a freshman. 2018 it says he redshirted, but it says sophomore. It makes him a junior the next year. So I think he should have been a redshirt sophomore his junior year. Redshirt junior 2020 that didn't count. So another redshirt junior. And then he could. So I think Harrison can come back. Who's the third? Well, on Deuce LaRose, so he, remember, transferred from Valpo. And from my understanding, he was a graduate transfer because he played in 2017, 18, 19, and 20 at Valpo, was the leading receiver for the team in 2020 during the six games that they played. And that was um, all Pioneer League in 2019. And then also played eight games in 2018 and 2017, uh, played 10 games. So. You have I would assume he's four gone. years yeah. there, and then yeah. 2021 spring, yeah, you can get that, and then you come in for 2021 fall, but that, as you said, would be six years and no red shirts mixed in, just the COVID. Year. So the two wide receivers, I think, are, I agree. Are, are done. Harrison is interesting just because the way that things are worded, but by my calculations, and by no means of my compliance, it can do any of this. I was going to say. I think Jay Harrison has a, has a season left if he would like to play. I was going to say, props to compliance if they find a way to get Malik Murray and Deuce LaRose uh, another year somehow. Um, and if Jay Harrison's back, that's awesome as well. So those are the players no longer at ETSU. Obviously, we've discussed it a ton. There's not a lot of players that are gone off, you know, a 100-plus player roster, but the quality there is truly incredible. Um, you discussed it with, you know, the senior class being so successful and names that you just know and are synonymous with success here at ETSU. Um, so those losses are going to hurt. Here's where it leaves ETSU's roster, and we can stop every couple of positions if you want and go over things. Quarterback, and I'm just going to go top three. I'll give you a three deep. Um, and then where there's not really a clear three deep or a clear starter at one position, say offensive line, defensive line, those types of things, I'll give you four or five players, and you can fill in the blanks for them. That quarterback, obviously Tyler Idell is back, and from my understanding, Brock Landis and Cade Larkin both still 
roster, and so your top three from last year right back in the door. Running back, obviously the big loss is Quay Holmes, but Jacob Sailors is expected to, if not fill his same role from last year, take on even more. You have Bryson Irby, who was great in camp this past year, got some action during the regular season sparingly. Whenever I've seen him, I think whenever Buck fans have gotten to see him, he looks really, really good and looks like he is someone that can, I don't want to say seamlessly step in for Quay Holmes because you can't just do that with one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in program history, but he certainly seems ready to get some carries in the Southern Conference. And then Trey Foster, um, someone that plays special teams uh, a lot, uh, is back on kick returns and such. He right now, I think, would be um, on this roster, your third running back. So there's your backup. Yeah, and, I, and again, not not having a whole lot of talk with um, Coach Newbauer, the new offense coordinator, Coach Quarles about some things offensively, and at, you know, Randy Sanders was very staunch. At least rotate two running backs, fresh legs. Honestly, Coach O'Kane was the same way. I have not talked to the new staff to see if they are a lead back guy or do they want to go with a couple of backs to get carries? Also, will they play Juwan Martin? Will they line up under center and do some eye formation, or is it all shotgun? You know, is it a 50-50? So there are some things, and every time I go down there, they're just having meetings and we're trying to do the recruiting. So I'm hoping in the next week or two I'm going to be able to sit down and talk schematically some stuff with the coaching staff to have a little bit more. Top three, I think, are the top three. I think you usually could go with one fullback. It would be Juwan Martin. He would be that. I think the fourth guy that could have some consideration is Cameron Garnett. He started to impress as the season went along, and depending on how things go. From last year's class. From last year's class. And so he started to get some special teams, started to get on the field more. Um, the coaching staff started talking about how he's standing out more. So I will just say this. if the f- You could probably talk about four running backs going in, and to me you're in a good stead if you're talking about you've got four guys that it seems like everyone is content with could carry the load, um, whether it's Foster, whether it's Garnett, or the two names I think most people know, which is Sailors and Bryson Irving. Wide receiver, of course, there's Will Huzzy, who's now top ten in ETSU history in receptions and receiving yards and finished single season in that same category, top ten in receptions and receiving yards. He's the clear number one. He can catch with one hand, both hands, no hands it seems like sometimes. He can do it all. He's their number one. After that, it gets a little shaky, and I don't think that would be the case if Isaiah Wilson could just find a way to stay on the field for a full season. But all three years now he's been with the Bucks. Missed six games in 2019, then was only able to play four in the spring. Now, granted, the Bucks only played what, six games in the spring, but still wasn't out there for 33% of the games. And then this past year, he was looking like, and the one memorable one pops in your head right away, is at Sanford, the what, 60-some yard completion, whatever it was, to with like five minutes left to get that game, um, or at least help get that game to overtime and have the Bucks win it eventually, 55-48. to 48. But he was averaging 23 yards per catch, 8 for 184, and two touchdowns in his five games. Now, those aren't incredible statistics in in terms of catches. I mean, that's averaging like a catch and a half per game, but he was showing that he could get downfield, be a big play receiver, and be an excellent complement to um, Will Huzzy, be another downfield playmaker, and the Bucs would just need that, you know, underneath possession guy then, which Malik Murray really was. Um, Now, if Murray's back again, he'll be in the mix, but we're assuming that he is not, so if he is not, 
Julian Price, who missed the first half of the year with a really scary back injury, but he was able to get back on the field, and when he was out there, he didn't look any different, I think, than we're accustomed to seeing him. So there's your top three. It would be Huzzy, Wilson, and Price. And, of course, you're going to need a couple outside of that. You saw Quinn Caballero play some while Price was out um, and while Isaiah Wilson was out as well. Um, and after that, you're looking for playmakers to come in and contribute guys like Adriel Clark that you mentioned earlier to make those drives, continue to improve and be that third, fourth, fifth guy when it's needed because you're going to assume some injuries here and there. Um, I think at the top you feel very good with Will Huzzy, and then there's some question marks after that. Yeah, Caballero was able to get um, some snaps, so he would obviously be, I think, the fourth guy um, that would make the list. And then after that, you know, it's some unknowns. You know, would it be, man, uh, Zaylis Alexander, could he get some? What about Desi Lester who's been here for a while? Solomon Dunn started at VMI, transferred back home. Uh, to Johnson City, you've got Clark. You know, there was a lot of hype around Macho Arza. We've not seen him. He's been hurt most of the last two years. Tanner Quorum's a guy that, you know, I top three's there. I think Kevlar's four. And after that, I don't know, uh, to be honest. And I don't know, you know, what the situation will be. Now, if those three stay healthy or need a little spell, Cavalera did come in, did play, um, has some experience at Charleston Southern, so he's, he's – been a Buccaneer for a long time for a couple different schools in the same colors, uh, but he's played some snaps. So I think top four feel all right about, you know, can they find another guy and can, you know, do they need a playmaker? I don't think um, because they've got Huzzy. I think Price can make some, you know, the pos- Wilson can make plays. You know, who's going to be that Malik Murray-esque guy? Now, I think Wilson has the rare ability he can stay healthy, I think he can do both. I think he can be possession. I think he can stretch the field. You know, Price is a little bit of the, the speedster, and then Huzzy's a little bit of the go-get-it guy. So I think the Malik Murray missing of him certainly could be an issue. And, again, what's the passing game look like? If there's a lot of RPOs, and I think, you know, again, I hope to have this a little more narrowed down in a few weeks, but if they go a little RPO – and get the, the right, you know, read, pull, and hit like Price on a slant, there's a chance he could have some big games because all he needs is one broken tackle. and He's got track speed. He can be able to outrun everybody. Wilson's another guy that can break a tackle and then uh, go the distance. Huzzy, not so much the breakaway, but we just know you can throw it up to him. So Malik Murray, how, that's ultimately what you're trying to ask me. Who's going to replace it? I don't have a good answer. I think Wilson can do both. Cavalero, I think, is his game's – to me, looked a little similar um, to what Malik Murray was able to do. And, again, how does the offense go? Do they want more of a Price who can go run on the outside, or do they want Price who can run on the slot and get some mismatches? You know, what do they do with Wilson who can run in strong? So I'm, I'm a little curious. I think the top three everyone feels good about, especially if Wilson's healthy, which you mentioned. I think Cavalero, I'm okay with. If he needs to get on the field, he didn't do anything – last year that wild, but he certainly didn't do anything that was head-scratching. You would go, man, you know, we're really hurting. So I think the four's there. I think they clearly need to try to figure out a couple extra guys, um, if not for injuries, but just to try to develop and see if they can get two more receivers that can step up. Tight end and offensive line, obviously, late on in the year, Nate Adkins was better and better and better. We already knew he was one of the best, if not the best, tight ends in the Southern Conference, but when given opportunities to go and make plays, and he did so in a lot of big moments, not only leading up to the playoffs, but then in the playoffs as well, specifically against 
Kennesaw State and that big comeback for the Bucks at William B. Green Jr. Stadium. Um, I'm not sure you could ask for a better situation in your number one tight end. At your number two, Noah West is someone that's gotten tons and tons of time. And then I think it's really the top two, and then the third would be Tim Stasekel. Um, it was Dawson Pearson uh, prior to Pearson entering the transfer portal. Um, I think he probably just saw that, look, you got two really good tight ends ahead of you. It's going to be tough to see the field more than you have, which was a snap here and there. Um, Atkins can block, obviously a big part of the running game, but can go up and make plays too. Uh, at the FCS level, I don't think you're going to find a lot of tight ends that are in his class. Uh, so Adkins, West, and then Stasekel. And then on the offensive line, a lot of familiar names back. Now, of course, are going to be missing on the blind side. Trayvon Shorts, uh, there wasn't someone you could point to in this conference, I, I don't believe, uh, as he won you know, blocking awards in the league uh, throughout his time, uh, was an All-American multiple times, that you could rely on more than Trayvon Shorts. Now, Obviously, left tackle is a big position. The rest of the line is back to Von Matthews, Blake Austin, Fred Norman Jr., Joe Schreiber. What are you going to do at that left tackle position? Will you shift someone that you currently have on the line over there, or is it going to be an open competition of guys that are coming in? That's probably, and you can argue with maybe with center because they're touching the ball every play, but probably for a right-handed quarterback, that left tackle position is the most important one to be able to have shored up. So, you're going to put a priority and an emphasis on filling that. So if you trust one of the guys that are back, and certainly I'm sure that George Portals and Adam Neugebauer will learn to trust those guys because they have been so good leading the way for the Clay Holmes and Jacob Sailors and pass protecting as well. Who are you going to trust to move over there, and then what position will open up on the offensive line? Key questions to figure out. Well, we've seen Casey uh, Setsicorn, who has played um, and started a little bit when Blake Austin, I guess it was the spring, so Setsukorn was able to get some action. So if you're just going to say a guy that has seen action, you could easily just say, well, Setsukorn, and you got five guys that have actually played offensive line and started games. Uh, Nolan Wishon is a guy that I think is continuing to impress. was a freshman last year. He's been in the weight room. Braxton Ship is another one. Sean Hastings. There's three, four guys that didn't see a lot of action last year that were getting a lot of reps that the guys were starting to talk about hey they could maybe make a difference and then of course that is one of the positions that ETSU is trying to solve right you can left tackle and to be honest um, just like any position if you can bring in a couple of guys to help if nothing else it adds competition or if you bring a couple of guys that are better in the system to start then I think you have to look at that so on the offense, the biggest question marks are going to be guys that are currently starters, how do they fit in whatever the new system is going to be? Does their particular set of styles, I know Coach is very, uh, Quarles talked a lot about with uh, probably you on the podcast, me on the video side about he wants to outside zone run. That's a whole different animal than between the tackles blocking. So how do guys go now? Coach Sanders did like to pull the guards, like to pull the center. So there are some athleticism where I think those guys can stretch it out. Big Fred at right tackle, you know, is he going to be able to stretch and go all the way to the side of the field, or do they have to rework where he's going to play? So there's a lot of schematic questions I got. 
I think you feel good about the line. you got four returners, as you said. I think, again, you could go with Seth Corn, who had started. I think Nola with Sean, again, a guy that has impressed. Maybe they talk about him, but Hastings and Ship are guys that are coming on strong. Stephen Flores is another guy. So they brought in, last two years, they have brought in a ton of offensive linemen that were young, and they were trying to develop. And, again, I don't know that you can have too many. Op- I just saw North Dakota State up live in person. You cannot have enough offensive and defensive line um, to keep rotating in and to get going. So I think it could be a strength of the team again. I would be naive if I think losing Traymond Shorts to LSU wouldn't hurt somewhat. But they are trying to, and they are trying to develop and try to get some more guys in there. And again, with a new offensive staff, I don't know that the four returning starters, and I'm sure they'll be penciled in early, but there could be a shot that, again, some of the guys that set out last year that are working out, some of the guys are going to try to bring in, could fit in the system a little better, and there could be a little bit of a shakeup on the line. The one person I think that probably would be set in stone, I think, is Schreiber. Now, again, more than likely the four guys that started last year are going to start. But until we see what's going on and being able to um, grasp whatever they want to do, how they want to play fast. And when you play fast, sometimes you have to rotate offensive linemen just like you do defensive linemen. So that being said, I think it's going to be a strength of the team again. I think they do have some depth. I think it is going to be a dogfight over who's going to be the starters. And it wouldn't shock me if maybe whoever starts the season is going to have to be in a dogfight the rest of the year to keep his starting position. Defensive line and linebacker, as we turn to the defensive side of the ball, to me are kind of in the same boat because you've got a lot of familiar names, but they're not your top performers. Or they are your top performers, but it's at a position where you'd like a little bit of improvement. Talking with Billy Taylor, he said his concern throughout the year on his defense was the defensive line. And there are a lot of guys back. I mean, outside of Elijah Pickleton, that's the only defensive lineman you lose. You've got Timmy Dorsey, you've got Max Evans, you've got Cam McCone, you've got Rodney Wright, you got Austin Lewis. Maybe those five, and keep in mind, with Billy Taylor's defense, you've got essentially three linemen, right? So you've got five to rotate in. If all five can be healthy, maybe that is enough. I mean, Austin Lewis being the force that he can be, or at least show that he can be at liberty, if you have him for an extended period of time, he can be that one guy at this level that can draw a double team that's on this roster, and then that opens everything up for the rest of the line and the linebackers as well. And then you really only have to worry about Dorsey, Evans, Cody, and Wright at those other two positions. It seems like they want to get better on the defensive line, but if you do have even marginal improvement from each of these five players in the offseason, do you think that that could be enough serviceable at the very least, I think, is a yes, but do you think that could be enough for this defensive line to make the strides and move into a category where defensive coordinator isn't saying, oh, I'm just not sure about this position? No, I think I think you would rather Billy Taylor, if you gave him some true serum, would, would go seven to nine deep um, for a lot of reasons. One, you could do some different things. Coach Taylor likes to do some specialty, but when you play a couple of teams that just go fast, you just need to have bodies to rotate in. When you go against the three backs, you've got to have guys that can protect the gap, that can handle, you know, if their assignment is the fullback to just get the fullback. So I think you want to have options there. I think that's the one thing North Dakota State, if I learned anything from watching them live twice in the last three years, is the nine defensive linemen that they rotated and were able to have different packages and different things. And I think Coach Taylor – would prefer to have it. And I think the other reason he wants seven nines because injuries happen, and they've always been very thin at the end of the year. So I think he would like to have seven to nine 
And then, you know, if injuries happen, anything goes, he would like to not have four going into a playoff game. He would like, or you know, or switch a guy from an offensive line to defensive line just to have an extra body here or there. Or you have walk-ons play minutes where nothing against a walk-on, but you would like to have your scholarship guys not be hurt and in the game. So I think he would rather have seven nights. Do I think that if those five guys could really get things going and cooking and stay healthy the whole year, that ETSU could have a, a run in a special year with those five? Absolutely, I think they could. I think, though, just the, that position, the demands of everything, that injuries are going to happen, they're going to miss some time, whether it's a game or two, whether it's unfortunately some guys will miss the rest of the season. I think he would rather have seven to nine, and I think that will always be a position that they will continue to try to bring extra bodies in. Linebacker, at least in theory, is where you lose the most. Now, you're able to get by without Blake Bockrath for the vast majority, 95% of the year last year, and I think that was even an upset because Blake Bockrath, you'll remember, and I don't think ETSU fans are going to remember Blake Bockrath this way, unfortunately, because of how he did leave and not getting able to play his last year really at all. But he was an all-conference guy and someone that in this league was a force at various times throughout his career. So you don't have him. don't have Colton Lakes, who wasn't out there all the time during his career, but certainly later on in his time at ETSU uh, was able to contribute some. You've obviously lost Donovan Manuel. You've lost Jared Folks. If Jay Harrison does end up being gone, that's another rotation guy that uh, – wasn't, again, out there, you know, 90, 95% of the snaps, but did play a big enough role for you to look around and say, ooh, that's something that we need to make sure that we plug the hole of uh, this year. If Jay Harrison is back, you've got him, Jalen Porter, DeAndre Davis, Steven Scott. If he's not, then that fourth position uh, seems like it would be up for grabs. Zach West did have some incredible moments this past year, really played. He's listed as a defensive back, really played more of a linebacker position. Daniel Davila is a name that we know. Same with Chandler Martin. Um, I'm not sure there's that one leader. Now, Jalen Porter, sacks, tackles for loss, all that, he was able to do a ton last year and led ETS in a number of different categories. But remember, a lot of those came from when that recon package when he was on the defensive line, so he wasn't really that linebacker leader. ETS, didn't necessarily need him to be. Now, how they mold his role this year, knowing that you do lose one, two, three, four, five, if it's Jay Harrison also out the door, five linebackers and a number of top performers from the linebacker position from last year going into this coming season. If they do turn him into a straight linebacker and have him out there a ton, then maybe he can be that. But with his hybrid role, it does leave you in an odd position at the linebacker spot. I'll throw in a guy that got in the four-game minimum so he could redshirt was Davion Hood. I think he started to make some plays. Now, again, they did some basic stuff where it was see quarterback, hit quarterback, and didn't throw a lot on him. But I think if you could keep the four outside, with well, that's Harrison uh, being the fourth, with Davis and Harrison on one side, Porter West on the other. You could get Hood on the outside, would give you a fifth linebacker. The inside is where it gets a little interesting because certainly I think you would pencil in right this second Stephen Scott and Chandler Martin. I think the Villa would be a guy that could be a backup. I think Cade Moppin is another guy. Most people remember him. He's a former quarterback at Elizabethan, won some state titles. So I, I think uh, Paxton Corker got a lot of special teams play late, actually made some tackles in special teams. So he's certainly not afraid to go hit people. But the biggest question, I think the outside linebacker position, I think, there, even 
Harrison, I think Hood could be the fourth. I think there's five outside linebackers right this second that you would feel okay about and would have played a lot of snaps and would know the system enough that they would be all right. Steven Scott certainly played impactful minutes until he had the season-ending injury. In the one start, right, Vandy, he was incredible. So I think he's ready for the role. They were really high on Chandler Martin, so high that they tried not to play him um, in the North Coast State game because he had played four games, and they have so much high hope for him down the stretch um, of his career that they wanted to save that year, and that's how important it was to them. But we've seen in some scrimmages – Moppin make plays. We've seen Davila make plays. We've mentioned Hood. So I think the biggest question mark is who is going to be the four-man rotation on the inside. We know Steven Scott for sure, unless something weird happens, will be a starter. The question is which one of the younger guys is going to have a good spring and a better fall camp to solidify the starter and knowing that they're still going to rotate a few more guys. So that's the probably – besides trying to add depth to the defensive line, because right now I could probably say for certain if you rolled out and played right this second that your defensive line is going to look something like Evans, um, Dorsey, Lewis. And you can go, boom. Outside linebackers, I can say, boom. These are going to be the linebackers on the first snap, Porter and DeAndre Davis. Steven Scott, and I don't know. And I I don't even – I think they got some depth they could do there, and Billy Taylor is a linebacker whisperer. I mean, that's the one thing we know as you look across all of his linebackers from his first stint at ETSU to when he went to Elon and Tennessee Tech and then came back to ETSU. You look at all those numbers his linebackers have put up, and that's the one thing I know is he, my man can coach some linebackers, and he'll figure that out. Defensive back, I think you probably have – by default and by performance over their time at ETSU and for Mike Price elsewhere, but your two most reliable, consistent, and prolific defensive players that are left on the side of the ball in Price and Elijah Huzzy. Now, I know fans will remember the last game they saw of the regular season, Elijah Huzzy getting beat by Ty James kind of again and again and again. It was a tough day for Elijah, but he has solidified himself with his ball skills, with his cover skills, uh, with his ability to come up and make tackles, quite honestly. For a while, he was top 20 in the nation in uh, tackles per game at the cornerback position. Pretty incredible. So Price and safety, then Elijah Huzzy. Obviously, Tyree Robinson and Karan Lentz are out the door. Those are two glaring needs. And it looks to me like there's a ton of different options to fill them. Now, which way this is going to go, I have absolutely no idea. But Chris Hope, George Odomegwu, Zion Alexander, who we already talked about earlier, uh, Eric Campbell, Sheldon Arnold, Quinn Smith, uh, Dwayne Rock. I, there are so many different options, and options that you know, options that you've seen out on the field, not guys that were like, ah, you know, maybe you can come along, but people that have played in games, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys for two, three spots if you count that fifth defensive back, um, and I'm not quite sure what direction it may go, but it's at least comforting to know that there are game reps behind a lot of these options. He had two interceptions in that game, too. I can't believe he did, you're I, right. I can't believe you're yada yada. You're right. No, you're right. Uh, um, I will say this. Um, I'm just giving Mike a hard time. But I, there are a lot, and that's the one thing I would say. I, I don't know who's going to start at safety and cornerback, but when I rattle off some names, I don't think anybody's going to cringe because we've all heard these names. Quinn Smith was the, the nickel defender and was 
unbelievable. And if they want to leave him at the nickel, because that is a very specialized position, that is hard to do. So you could easily put Quinn there. You could easily put Zion Alexander. George Odomegwu started, got some reps as well. Tonquez uh, Ball was a guy that they brought in from Tulane, who's a Knoxville kid they thought he was going to be able Eric Campbell's been a special teams guy that's got some outside linebacker reps. He's got some safety reps. But at cornerback, I don't think any fan, I think if I said, hey, they're going to start Quinn Smith, would be like, oh, or Zion Alexander, who? I mean, I, they know those names. And some of that because they know those names because those guys have contributed on special teams and been able to do other things. But Odomegle got in on some specialized nickel packages. Zion Alexander got in on, got an interception. Quinn Smith was a guy that – Honestly, I was very concerned when he went out. I thought that was one of the more underrated injuries. And then it turned out, guess what? Steve Brown does work with defensive backs and did some turnover. So the quarterback position and who they put in there, I think is fine. I think that who's going to guard the nickel? I think if somebody goes down, I think that is fine. Safety is going to be the big one because, number one, Tyree Robinson, and no offense to anybody else on the defense that's graduated the last couple years, but he just had a knack to make the biggest play when you needed the biggest play and was the quarterback of that defense from the safety position and guys fed off his energy. So I think that's the one thing that will be difficult. I think they can find a solid safety, but I think Tyree Robinson did enough of other things that that is going to be hard to replace. That being said, they did play guys at that position. We've seen Hope. We've seen Ruff. We've seen Sheldon Arnold Jr. Eric Campbell played a little bit. So there are four guys that have names that, again, people should know when I rattle off those names, that at least it registers, oh, yeah, I've heard of that guy or I remember that guy. So Mike Price is going to be the hard-hitting, strong safety type that's going to come in. Who's going to be the free safety roamer that can call out the secondary, can call out the defense, make sure the checks are right in the secondary and who's got who, and can make the big play. That'll be the thing. I don't know that they'll find – a guy that can step in and, and just have a knack for the ball. Some guys just have it, right? They just know where it is. It's like offensive rebounders, just guys that just know where things are going to happen and anticipate and do things that you just can't teach. And I think Tyree Robinson had that. As far as teachable things, I think those are solid safeties that can come in and make a play. But that's maybe the biggest loss. And no offense to the all-time leading rusher in the history of ETSU football, um, Quay Holmes, but – I think ETSU feels good that they've got, maybe not quite homes, but they've got solid running backs, that they are going to be able to run the football. I think Traymond Shorts could be, depending on how things go, could be very hard to replace. But Tyree Robinson, I think, is the biggest loss uh, for the team. And I think safety and corner, I feel really good about whoever they put in there at DB because there's some known factors. We've seen those guys play, whether it's special teams, whether they've been able to get in some spot time, whether they've been able to get interceptions or fumbles or whatever it's been, we've seen that. We've seen that at the cornerback position. So I feel real good about the secondary. Defensive line could use some depth. It's that inside linebacker position I think is the, the maybe the biggest question mark because there are names I know, but I don't think there's names that the fans particularly know and are familiar with. But I think the secondary, whoever they roll out as a starter and roll out as a secondary, I think people – you know, at least know where they are and feel good about it. I mean, Arnold had the interception at Vanderbilt. Zion Alexander, we mentioned earlier, had the interception against VMI. And you have to feel great about where you are with Elijah Hussey because if my criticism on his worst day is, boy, he's going to be hit by Ty James. That's the thing. He has two interceptions. I mean, think about that. Like, he, 
he is having some struggles on that afternoon, but makes up for it by making two of the biggest game-changing plays of the entire season. So him and Mike Price certainly cornerstones back there. So you feel like inside linebacker, uh, defensive line a bit, replacing Tyree Robinson, replacing Trayvon George are the biggest needs for the team going into this signing class. Going, yes, going into the signing class, who's going to be the anchor of the left tackle uh, on offense? I think that's the, the biggest question mark you would have there. I think clearly depth on the defensive line, who's going to start inside linebacker, and then it's not who's starting at safety, it's who's going to do everything Tyree Robinson did. And I think the need for safety is probably fourth on that list because they got guys that can make plays. they got guys that have played. It's just that X factor of Tyree Robinson, what can they do. But the biggest need, I think, is depth on the defensive line, then maybe who's starting for offensive line tackle, who's starting inside linebacker, who's starting safety. But the biggest need, I think, is just adding depth to the defensive line. Okay, so that need leads us perfectly into this year's signing class. There were eight players, a number of transfers, some true freshmen as well. One of those transfers is a defensive lineman himself, Andy Boykin Jr., 6'4", 315 from LaGrange, Georgia. Everyone will love seeing this next part of his bio. He's a transfer from an SEC school, Arkansas. There was probably the least amount of film of anyone in this class on Boykin, which was interesting because his film got viewed more than anyone else's. He was thought of as someone that could be a real difference maker at the highest level of college football, three-star prospect by rivals, but only appeared in one game for the Razorbacks in 2020, did not play in 2021. It looked like to me, and having heard him talk about this and seen some quotes and such, that he just didn't feel appreciated at Arkansas, having not played in 2021. I suppose you can't blame him, right? Everybody wants to be out in the field. Um, and when he talked about his visit to ETSU, he said that they showed him so much love, just like Arkansas did originally when he went on the visit there. And so to me, it looks like the big thing for him is feeling appreciated. Rest assured, Andy Boykin Jr., we appreciate you here at ETSU, especially at 6'4", 315, someone that looks like he can come in, obviously be flat out bigger than a lot of other guys, but with how he was able to dominate at Trout County High School, clearly turned enough heads to get the offer to Arkansas. Had a number of other high offers from Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, the who's who of college football school, Tennessee, Florida State, Miami, Oregon. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that list of schools that he had offers from. Chose Arkansas, now he's at ETSU with an opportunity to shore up that defense. Blocked four kicks his senior year of high school. I love that, just for simple fact. But, you you know, again, they talk about what – the reason why Traymond Shorts had all the Division one offers, besides the fact that he played, I think, the second most snaps of any offensive lineman in the portal, so certainly that jumps up there. But he was a legit 6'4", about 315 on the offensive line. Now you're talking about a legit 6'4", 315 on the defensive line, who's had two years in the SEC weight room, which I think you can't underestimate. That's linemen we normally see at, like, Wofford. You know, ETSU's not had a lot of that at the nose tackle position. Or if they got to there, they got there their last year. They've not come in like that already. So I think this was a tremendous get. I think they are going to project him to play the nose guard position and going to eat up a lot of space. And if he could be a running mate for Timmy Dorsey and Kamen Cody, I think, again, you get a three-man rotation 
at the nose guard position for different things. And I think certainly if Boykin can be the run stuffer, the on the field goal block team, they can do that. And then maybe when you get in some other situations, you could put Cody in against some option team and run laterally. You can get Dorsey starting to get pressure on the quarterback and make plays in the middle. I think this was a tremendous get, especially when you look at all the accolades. I mean, he was the 37th uh, strong side defensive end in the country at that time. Again, he may be a, a guy that could play some new, uh, could play some end as well, uh, just depending on how he gets in, how he adjusts the system. Again, how do some of these guys move? But I thought this was a tremendous get in the portal. I mean, how great did the defensive line look when you hear 6'4", 315 from Arkansas to add to an Austin Lewis who played at Liberty? And then if you've got those two as your bell cows down on that line and you've got Dorsey, Evans, Cody, and Wright alongside those two, if Boykin can pan out, defensive line I think can go from maybe a weakness on the defensive side to being one of the better units on it. Okay, so that's one of the weaknesses we talked about. Defensive line, one of your concerns, areas of need, wanting to bring someone in to be able to boost that group. It looks like Boykin is someone that at least has the potential to be able to do that. Let's look at the offensive line now, another area that you wanted to make sure that ETS you wanted addressed. Chris Everhart looks like someone that can be maybe that left tackle type. Now, he's often played guard, right? So if they want to move one of the guards they already have out to the left side, however it ends up working out, 6'3", 308 from Greenville, Tennessee, Marshall University. He's a transfer from Marshall where he played in the New Orleans Bowl with a team that was pretty solid, 7-6, and 5-3 in Conference USA. Last year rated a three-star prospect by ESPN and 247 Sports. He played in nine games for Marshall, so it's not like he was just sitting, not getting those college reps to be able to do that. Obviously, um, massive to get the college reps at the FBS level. Had offers from MTSU, Chattanooga, and Campbell as well. I think most people around the area will remember him from Greenville. And you look at the tape from his time with the state champions, um, it it is eye-popping. I mean, it jumps off the page. So to see him go FBS was not a surprise. He was a lot bigger than everyone else, and up front he moved a lot quicker than pretty much everyone else that he faced at the high school level. He's coming back home, and with some FBS reps under his belt at 6'3", 310, and an open spot on the offensive line, you have to feel great about his addition. Well, and I think the, the big thing, too, is he was the backup center. I didn't snap it at Marshall, but he was a backup center, and Joe Schrauber's going into his last year, and of course, whatever, he'll be a sophomore, so could be a situation where he takes some snaps just in case. Again, you got to prepare, right? You don't know, um, is everybody going to make it? Is everybody going to get hurt? Is everybody going to do whatever? Something happened. So you have a guy that was a backup center at Marshall, could be a backup center at ETSU. When Joe Schreiber goes, would he move over from a guard to a center? Would he play tackle at the FCS level? So there's a lot to go. But certainly, again, the intangible 6-3-3-0-8, and he had a year of getting in the weight room and playing and getting time in and getting some special teams so he could run up and down the field, getting some special team experience at Marshall in the Sunbelt Conference. I think, again, a tremendous get in a guy that's going to push to try to get a, spotting, a starting spot on the offensive line. It was just pancake after pancake after pancake on tape from him. Here's George Quarles on Chris Everhart yesterday at his press conference announcing the signing of the class. He's an older kid, obviously. Uh, I think this will be his third year out of high school. and. You just think those older guys will have a chance to maybe come in and compete a little bit sooner because he's played at the college level. He knows what it's like in the weight room and on the practice field, meeting rooms, you know, so there's less adjustment. Plus, he's a talented guy. He's 6'2 or 3", 305 pounds or so that looks like he's 
270 pounds. Now, I know that doesn't sound very small, but in some ways he looks smaller than he is. But he carries it really well. Um, you know, watching him out here running, he moves well, hard worker. I'll be shocked if Chris doesn't find a way to get on the field. I think it would be shocking just looking at his resume and what he's done, his size and knowing the level that he's coming to an ETSC situation on the offensive line. Marshall went from Doc Holliday to Charles Huff his freshman year, so I'm not sure if that spurred on this change for Chris Everhart, but ETSU is certainly happy to have him. There's the two transfers, Boykin and Everhart. Everyone else is going to be a true freshman. Let's just start at the top of the list. Amir Dendy running back from Anderson, South Carolina, Westside High School, and he has top-end speed. There is absolutely no question about it. Watching him, that's the one thing that really bursts at you, and you just can't miss. 4-4 four, four in the 40, and you can see it when you watch uh, his tape. Long strider that really has great straight-line speed. I think my one concern watching the tape on him was I'm not sure how agile he is in short space, and you obviously have to be that at the college level as a running back. His swerve side-to-side agility um, I think is going to need a bit of work, but you're probably not going to find at the FCS level someone that's got 4-4 speed and is also you know, back-and-forth jerky, able to lose a guy um, side-to-side, you know, east-to-west rather than north-to-south. I think some of his better moves come by his speed setting up those moves. So maybe not the drastic sharp cuts, but just the fact that he can get you on your heels and then can make even a slight move left or right. Um, the running back position, obviously not an immediate need, so he's got some time to come along. But at 6'1", 192, it is pretty comforting with 4-4 speed that it looks like he could just step in if need be and play some snaps. Well, if you're talking about outside zone plays, you're trying to get people in space. And if you're going to sign a running back, this looks like a guy in space that you want to get out there. So I think if you're moving forward and, and slowly changing the system from a little bit of the pro style to a little bit more uh, in space, let athletes make plays, and they went and got an athlete. Now, what I like about Dindy is when you look at track numbers, because when you talk about a speedster, to me it's all about what are the track numbers. You know, we can deal with the football side of it. In, in high school, a lot of these guys, you watch tape, and they're faster than everybody, but what do they do in a track meet where other fast people are running against them that are fast, right? So that's what I like to look at. And so certainly his numbers point to a successful career all region in the 4x1, the 110 high hurdles. Is he going to hurdle somebody who knows? region champion in a lot of things, so I like that. I also like he had 596 yards receiving, so he can make plays out of the backfield. And the last thing, which I think ETSU would consider maybe using him on, especially early in his career, is kick returns. Over 1,300 yards in kick returns. Again, straight line speed, catch, look for a crease, try to outrun everybody, right? So he doesn't necessarily have to do things in space early in his career. He could come in and just try to get a couple zone reads on the outside. He certainly could catch some little flares or screens, see what happens. He can go straight line kickoff return. So I think there's a lot of things. Now, he also is quoted as saying that uh, he knows that Quay Holmes set the all-time rush record, and that is what he was shooting for. Now, that being said, Quay Holmes told me, hey, I want to be all-time leading rusher at ETSU. So, listen, people say that. I like that, right? Because they come in, they feel confident, they want to do that. If a guy doesn't feel like he can do that, is that a guy you really want on your team? Now, is it doable? I don't know. Honestly, I didn't think that Quay Holmes, even starting as a freshman, would be able to get to uh, Brandon Walker's records. What do I know? He was able to do so there. But I think a, a good athlete that they are trying to 
slowly change a little bit of what the offense is built on and what type of athlete they want to get. I think that's a perfect fit for what Coach Coyles talked to us about, about changing the offense slightly and what they want to do. The sister, Maya Dendy, runs track at Auburn. So if you're running track in the SEC, it's in your blood. You kind of know that that's going to be something that you have in your arsenal as well. And you make a great point about kick returns. Uh, obviously, Jacob Sailors is an asset back there, but will they keep him in that role being is the lead back, the lead running back on the team, because you're right, if you get a 4-4 guy in space, and that's obviously what they're going to try to do with someone that does possess that kind of speed, because he'll instantly step in and be one of the fastest players on the roster, then kickoffs is the way to go, right? Any time where you have lots of room, you can get a full head of steam going, and so um, that outside zone running scheme, certainly, but at least in the immediate, it seems like he would be a contender to take one of those uh, kickoff spots that have been held down by Sailors and then Trey Foster um, as well. Let's keep it on the defensive line, at least. No, that was running back, adding some running back uh, depth. But defensive line, we've already talked about with Andy Boykin. Let's keep it there with Jalen George, 6'2", 245, out of Sewanee, Georgia. Collins Hill High School lettered in football, wrestling, and track and field at Collins Hill. The bios that we see point out that he played linebacker while in high school. But having watched his tape, really where he made the most impact was when he played inside on the defensive line. He also played some defensive end. Again, that's how he's listed coming into ETSU. But he moved around a lot, showed some versatility. He had the ability to overpower guys on the inside, but then also use the speed to get around the edge and use some swim moves to get back inside on the outside of the defensive line. And then at linebacker, too, obviously, if you're 6'2", 245, the linebacker position in high school, I mean, that's NFL linebacker size. So you're going to be able to make some special plays there, too. Um, Led his high school to becoming state champs as a senior, registered 13 sacks. He was one of their leaders on the defensive side of the ball and could do a bit of everything for that defense. So, a little inside lingo, and luckily I have a cheat sheet because I asked Billy Taylor, where does he project? Because that was a guy that Billy Taylor was really excited about and thought would be, and even Gary Downs told me, Coach Downs, the running back coach, uh, recruiting coordinator, he thought this could be one of the best defensive linemen coming out of high school they would be able to sign. So I thought pretty high praise, but he's going to play the bear technique. So for those that don't know that, and I had to go to my cheat sheet, that's the five techniques. If you know football, the five technique. If you don't, let me just say that's the position this here player on the defensive line would play. Olajuwon Pinkleton could be Austin Lewis. They're opposite of the outside linebacker, so they just try to anchor the other side of that uh, defensive line. So he is projected to play defensive end. And he's got a chance because of how just skill set he has. And to be honest, they want to try to get to an eight, nine-man rotation that he could be the second or maybe third outside linebacker behind Austin Lewis. He could back him up. He could be the third guy. They could slowly work him in. So I think that's sort of the position that they see Jalen George. But they were ecstatic of getting him because they thought it was one of the better D linemen coming out of high school that they were able to get. Moving on to another area that you wanted to address, defensive back Javon Henderson at 5'10", 185 out of Auburn, Georgia, Mill Creek High School. He played cornerback there, uh, named to the all-region 8A first team. I saw three pick sixes from him his senior year alone. So that obviously was a head-turning at the very outset of looking to see what kind of player that ETSU got, a nose for the football, but also someone that had a bit of a nose for the end zone, played at the highest class of Georgia football, so um, it's always difficult in 
unless you're from the state or you know the ins and outs, inner workings, the layout in different states around the region, it's always tough to be able to tell, you know, Mill Creek High School, okay, what is that, right? Like, who did they play against? But knowing that he played at the highest class of Georgia football at that um, 8A level, uh, pretty impressive to see him make the plays that he did. Uh, didn't get outrun, which is the really important part, I think, looking at a quarterback at a high high school level like he was, it's a really athletic football area and level where he's coming from in Georgia. Uh, this is one of four Georgia kids that George Portal brings in. To not see him get outrun by any receiver, by anyone on the field, and be able to have some speed to catch up to guys as well if he was um, off the ball and then coming to make a play on a running back or a different receiver, obviously speed at the cornerback position on the outside is something that is always at a premium. So that was, I think, asset number one that I saw. So he's going to be listed as a field corner, and again, to put that into terms, I think people understand, Karanda Lentz. So the wide side of the field, he's going to be asked to kind of guard against the wide side of the field. Um, and that was a spot Jeremy Lewis held. That was a spot Karanda Lentz. So if you can imagine that, because Elijah Huzzy right now is the boundary corner. Um, again, that can change, depending on personnel and people's strengths and set and other. But, you know, if Henderson progresses – to a certain level, then he would move into that boundary corner because that is where you get the most one-on-one coverage. And that's why sometimes Elijah Huzzy, a couple passes go here or there. It's one-on-one. He's out on an island. He's got to make plays, right? So, But early on, they think that uh, Javion Henderson is going to play that boundary side corner, be on the outside, and it makes sense, right? You had Karan DeLentz with speed, who, who was a little faster than Jeremy Lewis, and now – Again, just looking at some things now, DeLentz was a Southern Conference champion. So it does not appear that Henderson is going to run track as well. But as you stated, the one thing that kind of jumped off the page uh, besides his ball hawking skills was the fact that he could run. And so I think that's a position that if you're going to play, uh, especially college game nowadays, you've got to be able uh, to run. And I think Henderson showed why he got a lot of accolades. And a lot of FCS offers, he was one of the guys that, didn't particularly have, and I'm guessing because he's 5'10", 185 is why he didn't get a lot of FBS offers, but I think that was a get in the secondary that they can develop, and certainly he could find the field earlier than later. On your need list was replacing Tyree Robinson. I give you Tyree Rainey in the defensive backfield. Defensive back, 6 feet, 182 from Donaldsonville, Georgia, Seminole County High School. He is a safety. He also played receiver and some special teams. And George Quarles said this about Tyree Rainey, and he took the words right out of my head. You got a safety that, if you've watched uh, Tyree Rainey, that is extremely physical. Physical. Um, he got an injury his junior year. I think he might have had some, some bigger stuff. Um, he's in a remote school, South Georgia, talented player. And getting to meet him and his family, you know, I think he's a great kid, and we're excited about him. I mean, it was really impressive and almost a little bit scary how he would go and track down the ball and just lay the wood to ball carriers. Like, it it was with reckless abandon, but also it seemed like kind of cold and calculated at the same time in watching it. So, in pointing out just two players in the class, as George Quarles did yesterday, and he mentioned, you know, Andy Boykin, he really only went out of his way, Everhart was the bike you heard earlier, and then this man, Tyree Rainey, and considering you've got eight people in the class,
look for those little indicators of, okay, well, who is on the top of Coach's mind as he's up at that podium? Who is that instant recall? And the fact that Tyree Rainey is one of those guys, whether it's because he does possess that kind of physicality the coach thinks is needed at this level um, and thinks will translate, um, or simply because he thinks that defensive back, as you do, is a need and he wants to point out someone coming in that he thinks can be that impact guy. Either way, I think that's a very good sign for Tyree. Robert Harper has been going through withdrawals because he had that man crush or the bromance that him and Tyree Robinson had. And so when I sent him the picture of Tyree Rainey wearing number three, and I don't know what that number's going to be, but obviously on the recruiting trip, you know, you put him in a couple jerseys and take some photos, not necessarily guaranteed that. But if he could find a, another safety named Tyree with an R that wore a three, it may be an easier transition for Robert Harper or what he wants to do. The big thing, and I was going to point it out, but you harped on it during the bite, was physicality. And the reason, because talking to Billy Taylor the last couple of years, the reason why they brought in Mike Price, they need to have more physical safeties. Corners, they need to be able to cover, do some different things. And, yes, safeties have to roam and, and make plays and, and cover people too. But when you play three teams that run three-back looking things, a couple other teams that like to run the football out of the wing tee, like Mercer and some others, you have to have physical safeties. They've got to be willing to come up and not just make tackles, but hit people. And they've got to be wanting to get the contact. And so I think that's the one thing Coach Taylor mentioned when he brought in Mike Price. So going back even to the trying to two years worth of recruiting classes, he was like, you know, we're not getting a safety that we don't think can hit or wants to hit or can be physical. And so they've kind of made a change in some of the safeties of what they're trying to look for in safeties because of all the different type of running and different type of style of offenses that are thrown at you. But you have to have some physical safeties. And Mike Price certainly fills the bill. Certainly Tyree Robinson did. Can Tyree Rainey easily step in? Sounds like they're very high on him. Sounds like he would have an opportunity. How quick can he adjust? How quick can he get out there? Again, the good news is I feel like there is some depth in the secondary, but that doesn't mean that any of these guys, whether it's Henderson or Rainey, new guys coming in, can't compete and find their way on the field in year one because one thing we do know is that Coach Taylor is going to play the best guys to give him an opportunity to win the game. So those six really address some of the positions that you want at ETSU to go and get Andy Boykin, defensive line, Amir Dendy, just some depth at running back with Clay Holmes gone, Chris Everhart on the offensive line to – add a different aspect there and bring in someone that seems like he can make an immediate difference. Jalen George on the defensive line, and then in the defensive backfield with Tyree Robinson and Karondalin's gone, Javon Henderson and Tyree Rainey. And then you have the final two recruits. I'm not sure they necessarily fill an immediate need, but I think they're a couple of individuals for people to get excited about because they are more skill positions. And when you see the name Riddle at quarterback, I don't know about you, but I get very excited. Oh, my gosh. I'm quite sure that you know. After all these shows and all football season, it'd be hard to be on Robert Riddle at Chattanooga, former Mercer quarterback that actually this year never ended up playing for Chattanooga as things would turn out. But I thought should have been quarterback from day one, even though he clearly at day one was not ready to come off the uh, injured list, come back from his serious injury, suffered at Mercer to play for Chattanooga. I still thought, you know what? It's a riddle. Throw him out there. And now we have another riddle, 6-1-186 Chattanooga, Tennessee, McCallie High School. William Riddle, yes, he is the brother of Robert. Can, I just, can you just utter the words, I love Robert Riddle for me, so we can just get a bumper? Because you did. You, there is a love romance with you and Robert Riddle. I love and, Robert Riddle. And I, don't, I think it's more of Now I love William Riddle. Oh, you just, the Riddles! Uh, Tell me this, Jay Sandos. Okay. Will he play 
a big factor in the future for this ETSU team at the quarterback position? We certainly hope so. Six one one eighty six and very accomplished out of McKelvey. Yeah, that'll be the uh, the question mark, and and, and I, I don't know. And I talked to Tyler Rydell uh, because oh boy, that's good to hear. well, <laughs> they're <laughs> thought about that. The Rydell and the Riddle have already been talking with uh, Matt Wilgen if. if if he's back for a lot of games next year, he's, I think he's only for four last year, but we'll see. But talked to him a lot about that. Talked to Rodell, and he came in and sat down. And I said, well, how's it going? You know, it's a new guy. And he goes, well, you know, they're already offered a transfer portal quarterback at uh, Georgia Tech or whatever it was. And he goes, I guess I'm just going to prove myself. And I was like, Tyler, you're in the win position, buddy, every single year that they are going. Everybody, no matter where you're at, they're always looking to get another quarterback. They're always – the game has changed to where, you know, used to be running backs back in the day. Now it's quarterbacks. You have to have either depth at it or you're always trying to get better. And I was like – and the weird thing is, is you're pretty much the one position on the field where there's one of them, right? There's two safeties, a couple corners, multiple linebackers, multiple D-line, multiple O-line. I mean, yeah, maybe there's one tight end. Most teams have two and two tight end sets, right? So the second tight end gets in. A lot of teams run a couple of running backs out there. A lot of teams, multiple. So there's only one. You're Other than maybe kicker or punter, you know, maybe long snapper, but there's one, and it is quarterback. And it is the one that everyone is going to try to do. I said, uh, again, the one thing you got going for you is the head coach was at Furman last year and watched you go right down the field and beat him late in the game. So he knows what type of gamer you are, but no school is going to stop recruiting quarterbacks. There will probably be. And it wouldn't shock me if there's not another quarterback added to this year's team because, again, it's going to be a different style of offense. Now, at some point, just like Coach Sanders talked about, I've got too many quarterbacks. Like, I don't need – we're not Sanford. We don't need nine quarterbacks on scholarship. You know, at some point we need other people on scholarship at other positions. But I think with the new staff and stuff, it would not shock me if Riddle isn't the only quarterback that is added. And it doesn't shock me because, let's be honest – at some point, some of the quarterbacks that are listed on the roster, once they get through spring practice, could possibly be looking somewhere else, too. Again, depending on what happens with the offense, how it sets up. But certainly, you look at the accolades um, and what he was able to do there uh, at McCauley School in Chattanooga. It's hard not to look at and think, you know, and what his brother was able to accomplish his first year in college as well. Certainly, the genes are there. Three straight. State championships also earned a spot as a Mr. Tennessee football finalist. His senior year, 43 touchdowns, six interceptions, a 68% completion rate. Watching him, he can run a bit. I wouldn't call him a dual-threat quarterback, but has some escapability, really good pocket presence. Um, A lot of what I saw from him, he was actually under duress and made some really difficult throws. The one odd thing about him is he kind of lifts up off his back foot. He almost like throws off his back tippy toe at times, which is a little bit strange. I love the, the breakdown there. Well, hey, I mean, I I am a fanatic about quarterbacks and uh, and fundamentals and such, but it obviously didn't hurt him at that level. It'll be interesting to see if that is something that mechanically they do try and fix here when William Rill does arrive. But um, I don't know if you look at what he was able to do in high school, and you want to fix anything because there was nothing to fix. I mean, he was absolutely excellent. Again, 43 touchdowns, 6 interceptions, 68 completion percentage, and those three state championships. It doesn't get much better than that. Final member of the 2022 signing class for George Quarles, his 
first signing class as a head coach. Tommy Winton, the third wide receiver, 5'10", 189, out of Knoxville, Tennessee. Knox Catholic played both wide receiver and defensive back. Uh, all state and all region, all four years, a three-star according to 247 Sports. He visited West Virginia, had interest from Kentucky, Tennessee, Vanderbilt. Not sure what those offers looked like, uh, but whenever you're garnering interest from three SEC schools, that obviously says a ton of good things about your ability. I think he probably didn't go to those schools because of the offers not being appealing as they are here at ETSU. And also, you look at his size, and that probably was an issue for some of those schools as to why they maybe did not offer him more. But absolutely fantastic ball skills. Uh, he was highly sought after. And another position, I think, that Randy Sanders harped on in his time at ETSU, I think maybe falls a little bit into the bucket of a quarterback where you're never going to stop trying to get more playmakers. And he certainly looked like in high school that he could be a weapon on the outside in the slot all over the so a guy I trust and used to be a broadcast partner for ETSU Baseball is the Hall of Famer, uh, Caleb Moore. We call him Paycheck. He's Knox Catholic's high school baseball coach. That was the school he attended. And when I was getting wind before, um, as I like to call him, TW3, before he had signed, <coughs> or even verbally said he had committed to ETSU, I said, hey, I think we're bringing in this wooden kid from Catholic. What do you think? And the first words out of his mouth was, Strong, speed, I think he can make an impact at ETSU, and that was good enough for me. Then I went further research yesterday and found a couple of things. One, he played an all-star game, and there were a couple of recruiting services there that talked about him being a playmaker at the FBS level and thought he would make a good addition to the FBS level. And I don't know, again, because of 5'10", if people are down on that, but you watch some of his plays and Playmaker just jumps off the screen. And he was able to make plays in space. He was able to go up and get the football at 5'10". And he was able to turn short gains into long touchdowns. And I think that's certainly a telltale sign. I thought maybe the best signing day story they had was when they talked to him about signing with ETSU and he said... um, he was thrown off early in the morning, has a little sister, seems to be maybe two, three years old, and he says, hey, sis, I'm going to sign with the Buccaneers today. And she goes, I hate the Buccaneers. And he is throw, he's, he's taken aback. He's like, whoa. He said the whole family's kind of staring at his little sister. And like, um, why, why do you hate the Buccaneers? She says, I, I just can't stand Tampa Bay. And then everyone kind of chuckled. They said, no, 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 we're not, we're, we're not going to that Tampa Bay. We're going to go to East Tennessee State, and we're going to be the Buccaneers in Johnson City. And then she apparently was okay with that, gave him a hug. Family got a good laugh out of it and a nice little story. So the good news for his little sis is not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It is the ETSU Buccaneers. And so that is Tommy Winton the third. Here's George Quarles' overall impressions of his first signing day class. Not a lot of surprises, thank goodness. Uh, you know, very appreciative uh, of our staff. Uh, Gary Downs, our recruiting coordinator, did a great job. You know, odd situation with the timing, a new coach. And, you know, so we had three official visit weekends. We even brought some guys in midweek. Staff did a great job. We had uh, great support from our athletic director, Scott Carter, our president, Dr. Brian Nolan. Those were my impressions. Uh, like I said, thankfully not a lot of surprises. Uh, you know, every 
everybody signed and signed pretty early. I think we were done by 8.45 or so because I've been in a couple of those where it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon waiting on a fax to come in, and that's not very fun. So I was proud of our guys for getting those things, uh, getting our papers signed, and I think that tells you, too, just how committed they are to this program. Not a lot to break down there, just your typical general head coach speak about signing day. There were some questions really introduced by Coach Quarles about if this signing class could have had a few more additions. Gary hung in there, you know, from the fall all the way through this thing with several of those uh, Georgia guys because we, uh, I think we signed, I believe, four, three or four of them. It was a group effort. You know, nobody really panicked. We knew we were kind of what we were up against a little bit. Stayed the course. When you recruit like this, you're going to have some, some ups and downs. We got some calls Monday and Tuesday. Hey, Coach, we're going to go a different direction. That's why today didn't have any surprises, thank goodness. Uh, but we missed on a couple that we, we'd love to have. But give somebody else an opportunity. And, you know, you do have the transfer portal that's available to you. And there will be some more in the portal after they go through their spring practice. And uh, that's not how we want to build our program. We want to be a high school, predominantly a high school team, you know, uh, high school recruited team, sometimes you have to go and fill some needs in the portal. So I think a couple of important things there. Firstly, that he was very honest and transparent about, hey, look, maybe we didn't get everybody that we would have wanted in a perfect world, but stayed optimistic, stayed the course, and we got a nice class. And then a little peek behind the curtain of how Coach Quarles, and maybe as a high school coach himself, that's where he obviously made a name for himself. Maybe it's not surprising to hear him say, we want to build from high school. Um, but it is nice, I think, to hear that if need be, and this is the way of the world now in college athletics, if you have to go to the portal, we'll go to the portal. I mean, if you have a need, it makes sense to get it. You know, and if you miss with a couple of classes at a certain position. And I think it's more so in basketball maybe than football, but you know, like ETSU in basketball, a couple centers, you know, post players aren't there, and you've got a lot of freshmen, but you need to get older. You can't continue to bring in freshmen and always be freshmen and sophomore, right? you got to have juniors, and you've got to have older guys. Football, same thing. Like, I know they really want a linebacker, and they got the call Monday that the linebacker was going to go as a preferred walk-on in an SEC school, and I get it, right? Preferred walk-on SEC over a, you know, uh, scholarship at an FCS school. And we'll see what happens. In two years, does he earn scholarship or does he have to go back to the FCS level, right? That's sort of the gamble they go. I know there's a wide receiver that is still uncommitted, uh, still talking about maybe coming to ETSU, but he is waiting uh, to see the uh, trickle-down effect and really wants to beat the FBS no matter what. So does the trickle-down effect open up a slot for him and he goes there? Or does he end up going ETSU? And a lot of people are like, well, if you don't want to go to us, why, why do you want him? Well, that's how the game works. And that's actually, again, I've talked about this Every one of these shows, some of the best recruits that ETSU gets isn't on signing day. And at the FCS level, isn't on signing day. It's a high-level recruit that's sort of a tweener or a high-level recruit that gets sort of boxed out because he wanted to go to school A or school B. They fill their slots. Then some of the other FBS schools already moved on from him because he was waiting for those schools. And then you get a three-star or something like that that is just looking for a home, and you're able to get him in and be able to make him play. And, again, it, it, it will, if ETSU gets a couple late high school kids, that doesn't mean anything other than those kids were more than likely 
trying to play at a higher level. And to me, that's okay. That means we're getting a higher caliber upper echelon FCS player that was a tweener in the FBS. And then the portal is going to change things. Then spring practice. You get a new staff in, especially on the offensive end. The defensive end, unless there's a guy that really thought he could get Billy Taylor to notice him and get him in the starting role in tier three or four, and he's like, okay, I've had enough, I've got to go. I would be shocked if, if I, and I'm okay with that, if they've given us two, three years, and it's just not in the cards. He's not going to be able to play to tissue, fine. Um, you know, going once like Dawson Pearson, he's been a tight end, but he's been the third or fourth tight end on special packages. He wants to go play. If you gave enough ETSU, I agree, go play. So there will be some of that. As that happens, that will free some stuff up. And at that point, you either have to have either a high school guy that's literally still out there looking for something, or you got to go to the portal route. Last one from Coach. We're going to add a couple spots, a possible receiver, uh, maybe another defensive player too. And like I said, and we're going to go through spring. You know, that's the unfortunate part for me is, you know, I can watch film and, you know, I watch them in the weight room. Them running, but till you see them practice, it's really hard to evaluate them. Myself, Coach Duke, uh, Coach Niederbauer, our new offense coordinator, they're in kind of the same boat. Seems to always be when there's a coaching change, seems to be a little bit of attrition. You know, there'll be some guys that they don't like the way we do it and they might move on. There might be somebody that graduates early. So just play it by ear. To your point about maybe ETSU not being done and there's still being a possibility to add some certainly this roster that we just reset is probably not going to look the exact same after spring ball going into the summer and then leading into camp and then the 2022 year and the first under coach quarrels here at ETSU but I always do enjoy this as kind of a it's not a midway point right especially this year I mean the season seems like it just wrapped up um really it was a couple of months ago now about a month and a half uh, since ETSU ended their season against NDSU in the FCS quarterfinals uh, but this is Always a fun way to be able to just keep football on the radar, especially with how good ETSU has been lately under Coach Sanders and now transitioning to Coach Quarles. I can never get enough football. Uh, very, very happy to talk about it whenever I can. In terms of this signing class, any final thoughts? Do you want to give a letter grade? Do you want to give initial impressions? Um, obviously a lot smaller. We've had shows. Heck, this one's going to go an hour and a half. We've had shows that have been like an hour 45, hour 50 on the 20 or 25 member signing classes, and this one even managed to be an hour and a half. With just eight. I mean, I, I think obviously the the big thing could they get a need? Do you lose Traymond Short? Could you find an older guy to mix with some of the freshman offensive line? Yes. Can you bring in a defensive lineman? Yes. They brought in a transfer. They brought in a freshman. Did they, you know, able to refill some of the back end? They lost a key secondary cornerback, key secondary safety, so they went and got a secondary, two secondary spots. They need playmakers and went and got. A, running back and wide receiver. Can you have too many quarterbacks? Well, for Sanford, no. You can have like 15. ETSU name maybe. is Riddle. That's right. Always That's right. Then the Mike Gallagher, uh, I think he's going to join the family. He may be Mike Gallagher Riddle hyphenated. The only point. position that you mentioned that they did not address was a tight linebacker. That's the, and again, I think the, the disappointing was, in, and he didn't name it, um, it's not too hard to do some Twitter search and you can find out, but on Monday, that was the call they got. They thought they had an inside linebacker that was going to come in, and he's you know, going to be a preferred walk-on, I think, in South Carolina. Uh, Nate Atkins, dad, took him away from us. Come on, Greg, what are you doing? Let's give him the ETSU. That's what I got. I, I don't want to put a grade because it, it, it's hard. I mean, uh, it, on, a, on a need base, um, other than maybe not the inside linebacker, I mean, I think it'd be then. If, 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 yeah. if you got a... Um, you got that linebacker, you go, hey, yeah, I guess you could go B plus, A minus, somewhere there. 
I think if they got a linebacker, then they address everything they could address and see what happened. But there were a lot of it, too, is they've got depth. So you're really just looking to fill some athletes and try to hit on some other positions, which I think is a good spot to be. Best alliterative title for a show that we could ever have, and I love alliteration. Santos and the Sonic, exciting and spectacular. And that's a wrap. Love it. We Spring practice a couple weeks away, too. How do you feel about that? That's crazy. Football's never gone, and that makes my heart happy. All right, well, we'll try to cover that, too. We'll talk hoops next week on Sanderson Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sport Network.